bless you. Uh, great. Thank you for coming today. Because when the sun's shining, we get so little of it. And when it's Father's Day, it's a really thanks for making the effort to come this morning. And bless you real good. Um, I, I don't know whether... Gone fishing? Yeah. God, I hate fishing. <laughs> I really do. If there's one thing that I detest, it's fishing. And uh, so I make no apologies for that. Um, so I'm going to do a bit of metaphorical fishing this morning because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had really no interest in fishing, actual fishing. He wasn't a John Ash. I don't know, did you, you spoke on fishing? Are you a fisherman? You Googled it. You made it up. I'm honest. I say I do not like it. <laughs> I find it incredible. No, I'll tell you when I first started to hate it. I went as an 11 or 12 year old on a deep sea fishing thing. Now deep sea fishing, it, it, it's not one of these super yachts that you go out. It was in Donegaday. All you could smell was the diesel that generated this boat. Now it, it went out, away out, beyond Donegaday Harbour. And you were right there, probably it took you half an hour to, to get there. And you see the smell of the diesel mixed with the smell of the fish. It, it, it literally, I've no, I mean, I don't need to develop the story, but most of the time my head was over the, bore, over the, 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 the boat, literally. And I was terrified that I would catch a fish because I wouldn't know what to do with it. And I did catch, I caught two fish. And you see, when I was going back, the person that owned the car wouldn't let me bring it. He says, that'll stink my car. Rightly so. So that was my only episode of fishing. And uh, I don't like it, but that's my confession this morning. I get it over with. It's up to Thomas when he gives you his. <laughs> As was Jesus. <laughs> he used the profession their profession, to get across why he engaged with them in the first place. And that was to cause them to become fishers of men. He used something that they were familiar with in order to introduce his message and introduce them to that. So I want to literally speak to you this morning on something that has the capacity to change your life. And it's your perspective in life. What is your perspective of life? And I, as we get, start to get excited about the next stage, the next phase of Journey Down Patrick, and all that it offers, it's incredibly important to get this right before we even move. So that we know exactly why we're moving. The why is much more important than anything else. Because if we get that, we'll get it all. One of the most eye-opening stories that I can ever remember. And it brought home to me the importance of perspective. Perspective. And it was about a guy called Stephen. 
And Stephen would board the train in New York Central Station every Sunday morning. And the purpose of his journey was twofold. Firstly, to visit his elderly mother. It was about a 60-minute journey upstate. And secondly, to unwind and read the papers on what was usually a pretty empty train and usually a pretty peaceful train journey devoid of the usual hectic weekday traffic. That is, until the train made a scheduled stop and a 30-something aged man accompanied by four young and rather rowdy children boarded the train. Everything changed dramatically. From quiet serenity to absolute bedlam. This continued for some time with a number of people looking distinctly agitated until Stephen decided enough was enough and he leaned forward and he spoke to what appeared to be the children's father who also seemed to be totally oblivious to what was going on. The response that Stephen got completely blew him away and changed his whole perspective of the situation. I'm so sorry, said the man. I'm a bit in a daze. You see, we've just come from the hospital where Margaret, my wife, and the children's mum has just passed away. And I'm afraid I'm just trying to make sense of my thoughts and see what to do next. As you can imagine, Stephen's whole attitude turned 180 degrees from an agitated, close to aggressive passenger to a compassionate, caring, almost surrogate father to the children. <coughs> you see, the perspectives you hold are essential to how you do life. And I want to share with you today about four perspectives about possessions of life because what we have just learned from the experience of Stephen is how we view things is how we do things. In many ways, what you see is what you get. But how you see is who you are. Two could be seated side by side and one could see life totally different from the other. It's possible someone has an abundance mindset and someone else a scarcity mindset. So whatever your mindset is, that's your world. So when people come and say, I think, I think things are going to get worse, they're probably right. Because we see things not as they are, but we see things as we are. So the perspective we're talking about is not over there in that situation, but it's in here. It's in my mind. So I want to share with you this morning that perspective makes a huge difference both in our faith and how we walk it out day to day and in our relationships with people. And the story I want to share with you this morning 
is perhaps the most famous of all of the stories that Jesus ever told, the story of the Good Samaritan. So the story begins with a lawyer, and it's found in Luke chapter 10, and we're jumping to verse 30. The story begins with a lawyer coming to Jesus one day, and he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Now let's pick up now from scripture in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus then spoke to the lawyer and he said this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In this simple story, there's three different perspectives about people and I, I don't want to miss them because whatever your perspective, that will determine your behavior. You see, how we view things is how we do things. And that's why I believe as we all take this incredibly exciting next step in Journey Down Patrick and get fully behind Pastor Thomas, that we have the right perspective on why we're doing it. They're brilliant facilities, but it's not to show off the facilities. Because I am pretty convinced, knowing Thomas as I do, that most of the work should be done outside the building. I think Alan Scott says it very well. Listen to what he says. The dream of God over your life is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. Because the next great move of God is not a movement in the church, but a movement of the church. Back to the Good Samaritan. And the first perspective is the perspective of the robbers. And their perspective is this. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That's the robber's perspective. Whatever happened to them, they were born and created in the image of God, but something happened to them. Maybe 
They got let down. Maybe just, I just don't believe that they were just born wicked. Something happened that turned them into something that made them incredibly selfish. And so their perspective on life is that we will hide out and we have a right to do that. And my perspective on life, they would say, is this, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Now, most, if not all of us, perhaps could say, well, that's not my perspective. But we all have some degree of rubber in us. You think, well, George, move on. I'm glad I don't have that. What's yours is mine. I wouldn't do that. But that's actually ingrained into us. The Bible tells us we were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. So here's property law. Now, I have 17 grandchildren. Okay. Praise God. No, if you were in my position, you wouldn't be applauding. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. So I want to give you property law from the eyes of a toddler. Okay? This is as, as close to what you were born with. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you lay it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> Born in sin, selfish. We covet and strive. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You maybe think, well, no, I'm not like that at all. Anybody here ever been part of a group photograph? You get them at weddings, don't you? A group photo, group of people that meet, they get maybe half a dozen people, maybe a whole collective of people. Now, who's the one, when you see the photograph, do you look for first? <laughs> Who do you look for first? And you see, if it's a good photo of you, that's brilliant. Send me a copy of that. See if it's a bad photo. Take it again. Take it again. You know. I mean, that's inherent within every single one of us. Here's the second perspective. And it's that of the Levite and the priest. And their perspective is this. What's mine is mine. And I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Now, Jesus makes a point in the story to say that the priest and the Levite both saw the man. In fact, they not only saw this man, but they went to great lengths to avoid him. They both crossed over to the other side of the road. They saw him, and the whole deal is, I know he's hurting. I know I should probably stop him. And help him. But to be honest with you. It's not my problem. It's his problem. And do you know what I'll do? I'll pray God send someone along to help him. You see. Selfish people never like to be inconvenienced. 
immature people see everything from their perspective, while mature people see everything from the other person's perspective. Now here's the third perspective. It's about a person who, to be honest, Jesus knew this, was despised by the Jewish people. Probably not someone who could be described as a neighbor. So the Samaritan comes down and he sees the man has been robbed. And the perspective of the good Samaritan is this. What's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. What's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. Now here's the similarities of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. Here's the similarities. They all saw the problem. Jesus stresses in the story that they all saw the man. He didn't want us to think that perhaps the Levite and the priest just missed it that they didn't see him, that they perhaps just missed him. No, they all saw him. And Jesus wants to make it clear that they all saw him and they all had an opportunity to help. And to be fair, in some ways, all of them had a reason not to help. Because for one, the robbers could still be about also, If they were on the road to Jericho, they're going somewhere. Perhaps a business appointment, perhaps a meeting in the synagogue. Most of them did have, if not all of them, a busy schedule. So what made one of them stop and two to carry on? You know what it is? Perspective. Perspective. Now, when we think of this simple story and each of these people, the first thing that comes to mind is that our response to people, our response to our stuff is totally based on what our perspective is. And our perspective determines our response. Our perspective determines our response. You see, sadly... One of the chief things that gets in the road is one's ourself. The, one of the chief things that gets in the road is ourselves. What's this going to cost me? How's it going to make me look? What will people think of me? Listen, the moment we get over self, everything changes. The moment that we get over self, everything changes. I mean, everything changes about how we see others. and Everything changes about how we see our possessions. Now, that's the story of the Good Samaritan, but there's another perspective. So could there be anything higher than the perspective of the Good Samaritan who said, what is mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Yes, there's a higher perspective about possessions than me saying, what's mine is yours, 
and I'm going to give it. And it's a biblical perspective. So don't miss this one. So here it is. The fourth perspective is, what's mine is not mine, and I'm going to manage it. What's mine is not mine, and I'm going to manage it. Now, this is huge. In fact, everything that you and I have right now, we really don't have. We have it, but we don't have it. It's ours, but it's not ours. Because it's his. And he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And the moment I begin to understand that, everything changes. How we view people, how we take care of our possessions, how we steward our time, in fact, everything, everything changes when I realize it's not mine and all I do is manage it. And that goes from our finances to our time. Because who is the one that controls our time? I, you know, I, one of the things that I really want to do is that when Jesus comes to talk to me, or you, is I want to stay fruitful and busy. So that he says, George, you might as well come up here because it looks like you're finished. It looks like all you want to do is read the papers, watch the TV, and do that. I want to convince him before he comes and ever thinks of having that conversation. God, I want to be with you, but I still feel I've got stuff that I need to give. I still feel that there is time that I want to manage well, that there are finances that I want to give well. See, it's his and he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, the moment I begin to understand that everything, I mean everything changes. And when I realize it's not mine, all I do is manage it. What's, where's the biblical perspective of that? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. One of the other things, and this is the big thing, how do you view yourself? You see, the robbers had a view of themselves that the only thing that they could ever amount to was what they took. The only way that they could ever achieve something was on the back of somebody else's misfortune. The Levite and the priest, they had a perspective that, you know, I worked hard for this. It's mine. 
and nobody, but nobody. That guy should have just not made himself so vulnerable. And goodness, does he expect me to bail him out because of what happened to him? But the Samaritan. Reggie McNeil said this. I think I've said it before, and I'm going to say it the bad way, not the good way. The first thing that the Samaritan did to make a difference was he got off his ass. His donkey. He had to do that. And the reality of it is that whatever we are confronted with today is going to, you know, you know, and that's why we need to get a better perspective of ourselves. We need to recognize, God, am I who I think I am? Or am I who you tell me I am? We meet Gideon in the Old Testament book of Judges while he's threshing wheat in the wine press. God said essentially, hey, mighty warrior. He didn't say, Gideon, don't you be thinking too highly of yourself. No, he says, hi, mighty warrior. By the end of the story, Gideon steps into his identity. He emerges as a mighty warrior. He becomes what God named and graced him to be all along. We know that in all things, God works together with those he loves to release what is good. We wait on God to do things for us, but God wants to do things with us. God has seated us in a place of honor. Yet often we are reluctant, I listen to this, and desperately uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with divine honor. We struggle with that. Unless we start to begin to walk in the identity that God has called us into, then we'll make the move over to the cricket club, but everything will stay the same. It'll just be nicer, bigger surroundings. And hey, even if the church grows to its capacity and we start looking for somewhere else or we start thinking about extending, it'll essentially just be a big church that have great services, that can sing and have worship like nobody's business. But the reality of it is, Down Patrick will still remain the same. It's interesting to realize, and, and this is no slant against Jim McConnell's ministry in North Belfast, but the largest church, the physically largest church in the United Kingdom was in the most troubled part of the most troubled city in the United Kingdom. And people were bust in from everywhere. In that little area of North, and I know 
that there was outreach that was done in it. But you know something? People don't want, uh, people associate outreach with somebody flinging a tract at them and preaching at them. Just live for them. Just live like a Gideon, a mighty man of valor. Just believe what God has called you to. We are rightly uncomfortable with honoring ourselves, but this is receiving the Father's gift over us. No one should seek his own honor, but no one should disown the honor of the Father. We are so afraid of pride, but there is a difference between becoming puffed up and being raised up. Peter struggled with the idea of King Jesus washing his feet. But Jesus apparently didn't have a problem with it. False humility, humility lives afraid of glory. Listen to this. False humility lives afraid of glory. True humility carries glory. Often we pray less of me, more of you, or all of you and none of me. But Jesus doesn't want it to be all of him and none of you. He had that before he created you. His greatness is never dependent on making you less. It is demonstrated, and with this I'm finished, in raising you up with Christ. More than anything else in the world, what will bring glory to God is you being who he has created you to be. And let me tell you something. That's awesome. That's walking in confidence in whatever, not in arrogance, but in confidence. Recognizing God, if you are for me, who can be against me? Let's worship him. Let's stand, shall we, as we just worship him. And let me, let me just say this here. One of the crucial things I think the church is entering into here is that of impartation more than anything else. Where people can, can just literally lay their hands upon you and do what happened to Gideon. Be who God sees you as. He loves you. He created you in his image. You are his image bearer. And there's nothing prideful or arrogant about that. It's about representing him to the best that he has ordained you to be. Not to the best of your ability, but to the best of his ability in you. Bless you. Thanks, Chris. Bless you.